Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Strong. I think we missed that. I missed that. A lot of times I'll look at that and go, in my weakness, I will be made strong. What he'll do is he'll, he'll make me better, and then I will be like, oh. But that's not the case. It's in my weakness, he is strong. You know what's crazy? God doesn't need your weakness to become strong in himself. It's through your weakness that he becomes greater in you. Your strengths or your weakness do not level up God. It's not a video game. Or you just got another level. Congratulations, God, I just broke my leg. Oh, next week it's going to be my back and you're getting stronger. No, what's happening is that in that weakness, he is glorified and we're watching the small victories add up, add up to his faithfulness. You know, it's not the championship game where the athletes are made. It's in the off-season in the weight room where there are no cameras. It's when their friends are going to the beach and they're stuck in their dorms. It's when their friends are heading down and it's the screams of the party of excitement and all they hear are the screams of the coach telling them to go. It's when everybody else is putting on cologne and smelling great and they're walking into a nasty, disgusting locker room for the third time that day to do it again. It's when everybody else is just crushing all the food that they can want while they're sitting there counting their macros and trying to figure out how much food they get. No, what we see on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday night football game is the evidence of what they did in February. And what happens in my life and in your life is the world isn't just watching you struggle. What they're seeing is what were you doing in the off-season? And I've got a feeling right now that in the next few months, it may be six months, it may be six years, we're going to kind of go into a small off-season. You guys have been walking through a lot. You look at the last 12 months, it's been a lot. Has anybody been smacked around in the last 12 months? What we're seeing is what was taking place in the off-season. When the Bible tells us that God's home is in heaven. That sounds great. But it also tells us that God's home is on earth. So the question that is, which is it? And the answer is, God's rich and he has two homes. You see that struggle mentally in that moment. You're like, oh man, what? The Bible does say he's in heaven, and the Bible does say it. There was that disconnect, but we lose the factor that it's not that uncommon to meet a relative that can have a lake house, a beach house, and a city house. So why can't God have two places? The big difference is, <laughs> is that God's second home is a fixer-upper. we got to look at this place that we're currently in as a fixer-upper. And you are part of God's 
God and Kids Investment Company, I guess. And it is your job to realize that a fixer-upper is not done in 30 minutes on television. You know what I'm talking about. It's crazy. We'll watch like the gangses on TV, and they'll, they'll walk in and be like, that's going to have a turd of a home. And then 30 minutes later, they move back, and you're like, I can do that. 30, I got 30 minutes. Let's flick the house. That's not how it works. It's not always glamorous. When you're flipping a house and you're fixing it up, there's blood, there's sweat, there's tears, there's roaches, there's mold. In a nutshell, it's a mess. And the big difference between the show fixer-upper and our lives fixer-upper is they go home to their beautiful home. And we live in the fixer-upper. A lot of times it's more, more like the movie Money Pit than I think fixer-upper, <laughs> where one day you walk downstairs, walked upstairs, and the next day you woke up and the stairs are gone. And one day you had a laundry chute, and then the next day there's a raccoon giving babies in the laundry chute. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Like, it seems like it is just falling apart at times. And the big question that we have to ask ourselves, and if you're taking notes, this is the big, the big question that we start off with today is this. Have I given up on my fixer-upper? See, two weeks ago, we, weren't, we had to ask ourselves, are we in relationship with God? Three weeks ago. And then last week, we had to ask ourselves, is he guiding us? And this week, the reality is, is that we are part of his company, and we're supposed to be doing a fixer-upper on this world, but have we given up on fixing this house? So a couple of things. When somebody gives up on flipping a house, one of the first things to go is vision. Proverbs 29:18 says, "Where there is no vision, people perish. Your sight, your viewpoint of it all falls apart. When we stop seeing what could be, we begin to accept the current reality is forever. Think about your car your house or your, maybe your yard, you purchased or rented this place, and, and you walk through it, and you could see the potential. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh, we can do that over there, and we can push that over there, and oh, we can have a garden here, and we'll put a trampoline in the backyard, and we can redo this deck, and we can, we can, we can, we can. We see it all of what's going on, and as time goes by, the passion goes down, and the acceptance goes up. And we begin to get comfortable in that spot. Am I the only one who's done that? You know, I'm, you're like, I'm going to buy this car. I'm going to put a new sound system in it. I'm going to do this. Oh, I can put new tires on it, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden you're like, nah, I don't feel like it today. And then you all of a sudden start finding yourself resenting the same thing you were excited to, up, you know, to fix up. Oh, I'm going to paint this room. I'm going to, it's going to look great. I'm going to put this on the wall. I'm going to redo the, 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 the curtains or the drapes. I'm going to redo the carpet. We're going to put hardwood floors in. We're going to have all of the stuff. And you're hyped. You can see it. And then all of a sudden, you're just like six months or six years later, you're like, same carpet, new stains. 
The second thing we do is we lose hope. Once we, once we lose vision, we lose hope. Uh, the dictionary says that hope is to cherish or desire with anticipation, to expect with confidence, to desire with an expectation of attainment. When we stop seeing it, we stop hoping that it actually will change. That line between vision and hope is a very, very thin line, and some people say that you could jump rope back and forth, but the truth is, if I can't see it, my heart disconnects from it. And your hope comes from your heart, where your vision comes from your eyes. Spiritually speaking, a lot of times when we look at people in this world, we can see who they are. It doesn't take a prophetic person to walk around Starbucks and go, we got some messed up people in Prattville. But it does take somebody who can see a messed up person and look through them and go, man, they got potential. Man, they got potential. Yeah, yeah, they're a mess. They're a hot mess. But I see what they can be. Did you see how nice they were to that person? They have a caring heart. I bet they'd be a good count. And we start doing that. And then after we start talking to them and we don't get the response that we want, you know what, I was wrong. They're, they're, they're gone. See, once we stop, I'm talking about myself. When I stop defending people that are getting put down is the moment I've realized I lost hope in them. Wasn't supposed to be like this, Bob. It was supposed to be a happy one. Come on, man. Hypothetically, this is not happening. But when mom comes to me and says, EJ this and EJ that, and I don't go, whoa, 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 whoa. You're missing what she's doing. And I go, I know, right? is the moment I stopped believing in where she should be going and started accepting her as this is how it's always going to be. The third thing that happens is that we fight amongst ourselves. We lose vision, we lose hope, and we fight amongst ourselves. Titus 3 says, but keep back from foolish questionings and genealogies and arguments and quarrels of law, for they are unprofitable and vain. When we start seeing this whole world in our area as a fixer-upper that has failed, and we walk around and we're like, it is what it is. It is what it is. They, they have nothing. They're garbage. That's who they're going to be. All I can ever see, you know what, man, I just, I'm just going to duck my head and mind my own business. What happens a lot of times is that we now, instead of being spurred on to change the world, we are spurred on to burn it to the ground with each other. And this moment right here, Titus is going, why are we fighting about genealogies? That's the dumbest thing in the world. Genealogies? What do you think, pre-trib, post-trib? Mid-trip? When's the rapture happening? I don't know. I don't, I don't, does anybody really know? Like, it doesn't, the, John, the revelator, doesn't be like, and on October 22nd, like, it's, it's not what's happening. We read and go, mm, sounds like one of these three, if there even is one. And we're going to rip each other to the shreds over something that we have no idea about. Okay, let's take it back a step. I've watched churches rip each other to shreds over the color of a carpet. 
whether or not we have banners on our wall, how many crosses you should have. I've watched churches rip each other apart. The fact of, uh, of, of how loud or how quiet the music is or how great or how whatever, the, whatever. It's just, they, this is what happens. Why? Because they lost the vision and hope that we could ever change something and we now begin fighting in the house. How do you know this is you? When we start comparing ourselves to other people, we compare our churches to other churches, not to encourage each other, but to bring each other down. And it happens in two ways. It happens, number one, when I watch the church down the street doing something, and I go, we will never do that. Our church is, nope, won't happen. And we put our church down. Or B, we see the exact same thing taking place and go, they're just, they're just money hungry. All they care about is numbers. Yeah, numbers are important. That's a number going to heaven or hell. Is that not okay to say? I mean, numbers are important. Everybody, there are billions of people on the earth. That is a numbered soul. That is going up or going down, and we're worried about how many seats are filled or not filled? Come on, y'all. Get somebody saved, send them to First Baptist. Like, it doesn't matter. I hate to be that guy. Stop worrying about that aspect. Second thing that we do is we start nitpicking things we used to love. I'm going to pick on EJ a lot today. Sorry. Oh, why do you go to New Life? It's just the worship. We have these moments. I've heard this so many times where it's like we pause and we sit in his presence and we were seeing and it's just you're absolved in who God is. Six months later, why do we sing the same song 15 times, y'all? Can't we just move on? We get it. He's a good, good father. Next. Man, I love when pastor preaches because he's so deep. It is just wow. On Mondays and Tuesdays, I'm chewing on every word he says. Six months later, can't we just have, I mean, I think all week at work, can't we just have something practical, like, about budgeting? <laughs> See, what happens is, is that when we lose vision, we lose hope. When we lose vision and hope, we begin fighting at things about things we used to love. Can I tell you guys a secret? God, Dad, pastor, is not God, but in a very similar way, he changeth not. Be honest. And it's funny because I will watch people be like in love with how he communicates and the depth of who he is. And then they're just like, I don't get it anymore. I'm like, he didn't change, you did. You You did. See, a lot of times we picture our church or other churches as if we're driving down the road, listening to 101.9, and we're finding our jams, and then 30 seconds later, it's turned into heavy metal. The radio station doesn't flip the script like that. That's how they lose listeners. And the church is continually going in a direction, and we release a sound. But what happens is, is that we internally become disconnected with the vision of changing our fixer-upper and begin fighting amongst ourselves. And then when we ultimately stop seeing the reasons for going to church, 
we start seeing the reasons for staying home. Which leads me to number four. We quarantine. We lose vision. We lose hope. We begin fighting amongst ourselves, even internally, which leads us to going, what am I doing? And lastly, we quarantine. That's what we do. We separate ourselves from former life-giving relationships and focus on my four no more. Our eyes shift from changing the world and fixing it all up into just staying in the one room that looks good. On the 4th of July, I rented this condo, and uh, it was beautiful. It was small, but it was beautiful. I'm not that large, so it's fine. And the photos, oh man, dude, like they took fantastic photos of this place. Like you could, you could stand at the foot of the bed and take a photo, and the, the headboard was the window, and you could just see right into the ocean. And the price was just perfect. And then I got there and realized why. I got there, and the outside of the building looked great. But what happened was, what happened was, once you opened the doors, you saw roaches. And what I can only assume on my floor was just an absolute brawl, because there was hair rolled up, and there was something red on the wall, which I'm hoping was ketchup. Hindsight, I'm not quite sure. And you start walking down the hallway, and like lights would flicker, the, the floor would like, and like, oh, we're gonna, this is gonna be Miami part two, here we go. I'm just being real. And then I walked to my door and I took a deep breath because I realized, and that moment I got catfished. I'm like, this is, this is gonna be horrible. And I looked at the door and the casing of the door, like it was supposed to be kind of like a brown like this, but it was all flaking off. Like it was, you could, there was no one was taking care of the place. And then I opened the door, and oh, it was exactly like the photo. Exactly. Small stove and all. Like, so small, like, it had, like, two little eyes. You might could have put a bag of popcorn in the oven. Like, it was small. But it was exactly what I wanted it to be. Like, it was great. You know what I would find myself doing is I would find myself trying to stay in my room. And then if I had to go, I would just stare at my feet because I didn't want to see everything, get outside, and then take a breath of fresh air. And then when I had to go back inside, psych myself up, and then go. And this is us with the world. What we have been doing as a society as a whole is that we get so disconnected with everybody else and everything else that all we're worried about is that my little corner is okay, and then I'm just going to put my blinders on, thank you for my coffee, and I'm not going to look at everything and anything because then... I feel a type of way about the mess. See, the crazy thing about the condo was when it was first built, it was gorgeous. But then people stopped maintaining it. And what happened in our world is it started off gorgeous and people started destroying it. And then Christ came to redeem that which was lost and empowered people like you and me to be fixer-uppers and we are fixing up my room and leaving the rest garbage. God has called you to be a renovator, 
not a placeholder. And for the next few minutes, we're going to dive into a, a one of the, when I talk about one of the meatiest passages of Scripture is Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is just, you could pick any verse in Romans 8 and write a sermon about it. But we're going to dive into Romans 8. I'm going to read through it real quick, and then we're going to, uh, uh, we're going to start off in verse 2 and go through, I think, verse 18, and then we'll hit a couple of spots. I can't sit on this chapter for too long. It'll be a series. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is in enmity with God and is not subjected to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. For then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11. But if the Spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if you live through the Spirit, you do mortify the deeds of the body and will live. And as many that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Fifteen. For you have not received the spirit of bondage to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit, and we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. If heirs, then joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. See, Paul lays out in this moment a struggle that we all face. And when this is the, all of us face this. And that is this, that we believe, but we keep finding ourselves struggling with stupid flesh. We want to please God here, but we keep making messes. Romans 8 is packed with so much content for one day, the first things that we have to find ourselves is this. One of the biggest reasons that we stop believing in the world is because we stop believing that we can change. How can I fix a, a world when my room's a mess? We have this whole idea that how can I renovate the room house and I can't even keep my own room clean? See, it isn't that we're just losing hope about the world, but we're losing hope about ourselves. 
And this is what Paul is talking about being carnally minded. We are so focused on ourselves and our own issues that we forget who we are. In verse 6 he says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And as long as we are focused on ourselves and our own mess, we will die. And this isn't just about people dying and going to heaven or going to hell, but this is also people about, about people dying of vision. They have nothing for themselves. They think that this is as good as it's going to get. Nothing will ever change. It is what it is. And we stay focused. It's like when you walk into your house, and I've got little kids, and the house was clean. Do you know what I'm talking about? It, it, it was clean. And then a tornado has swept through your house in the form of a McKenna. And you look at it and go, what's the point? Has anybody been there? And you think in that moment, like, I know that the laundry hamper is right there, but I'm just going to throw my clothes on the floor and get in bed or on the couch. Has anybody ever been there? Why? Because you walked into a messy place and you lost hope that it could maintain being clean. So your thought was, why even try? A lot of places in my life, and I've gone through over the past, especially 18 months, 24 months, a lot of personal journey. And one of the biggest things that I can tell you personally is the moment that I stopped thinking that I could change is the moment that I started accepting things and the mess would get worse. It's like when you're pulling weeds in a garden. Can I tell you, weeds come back. But if you stop, you will continue to be overran. And a lot of us have just stopped. We stopped seeing the garden of what it could be. And as long as we are so focused on the carnal, we will miss the hope of the spiritual. We're focused on the carnal in the world, how messy they are, how messed up they are. It's getting darker. If I've heard that once, I've heard it a million times. It's getting darker. It's getting worse. It's really bad, y'all. It's really, really bad. Can I tell you, it's not that great, but the last time I checked, this isn't first century Rome where they're burning us as lanterns. So can I tell you some hopeful things? It has been worse. And it changed. You have a moment right now in history to make the change to own your area, to own your relationships, to ensure that it's not going to change. Can I tell you, you may not be the next Billy Graham that's going to go on television and change everything and do these big, huge things, but you can change the five people that you work next to. You can change your house and your street. You can change this church. You can have those, those connections. So stop being so consumed with, oh, here's me, and start looking out to what can I do to make a change? If I ask right now for some volunteers, because we're going to repaint this room, people will pop their hands up and be like, I can help you with that. I can do that. I can dedicate rolling up a roller. It's not that hard. But if I asked right now, I want everybody to bring one person next week. Nah, I don't know about all that. Why? Why can we put so much more faith in things that I can do with my own hands than the connections that I have spirit to spirit. 
because we're carnally minded. So many God-loving Christian people are so carnally minded, they don't even know it because they've equated carnally minded about sexual issues, about doing drugs. Yet they're so focused on themselves and their own carnal world, they've lost the passion to make a spiritual impact in their neighbor's lives and are okay with them going to hell. As long as my room's okay. So Paul says, <laughs> that's not who you are. You're not carnally minded. Paul says in verse 9, but you're not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And if so, that the spirit of God dwells in you. And if any man is not in the spirit, he is none of his. But if Christ be in you, your body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised Christ up shall quicken your body by his spirit that dwells in you. Can I tell you, he's not attacking them because they messed up. He's attacking their mindsets that tells them that this is how it's always going to be. Paul later on looks and goes, I am the chief of sinners. I do what I don't want to do when I don't do what I do want to do. Been there. So Paul's not looking and going, you messed up, you're not, a, you're not a Christian. You slipped up, you're out. What he's saying is, you've accepted this life as it is what it is. And Paul's like, that's not who you are. It's like... You remember Lion King when, when Simba ran away because his dad was killed and, and he ran off and he starts hanging out with a pig and what was the other one, a meerkat? Yeah, I don't remember. And, and he's out grub hunting. You remember that? And then all of a sudden he's looking in the water and he sees his dad in the water and then he turns into a cloud. What's the phrase that his dad kept saying? You remember that? Remember who you are. Paul, before there was ever a Lion King, is telling these men and women, remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are not that person. Remember when you believed that you could be something with Christ? Remember when you thought you could make a difference? Remember when you saw fixer-upper and saw potential? Remember when you walked in a new life and saw how great it could be and, and, and want to bring in people? Remember when you used to go to Starbucks and go, I think I can lead them to the Lord. Remember when you used to go and want to pray for your coworkers when you drove down the road? Remember who you are. My daughter is a strong and wonderful little girl. And she has no problem telling you what she thinks. She has no problem laying hands on somebody either. Not for prayer. Her convictions are deep and strong. And she sees the world very black and white. We both, her and I, have a gift with words. And what that means is that we have the ability to edify with our words and we have the ability to destroy with our words. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of times... I don't see the difference. I think it's something obvious, and then it hurts somebody's feelings. Has anybody else ever been there? Like, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. It's just, I just said it. Like, when I put on a suit, she goes, oh, Dad, you look good. Even with your neck fat hanging out of your tie, you look good. 
I didn't even know I had neck fat. And you start looking, you're like, I can't up. Like, I'm not crying, you're crying. Like, <laughs> it just, she doesn't mean to cut you, it just, just happened. But on more than one occasion, she knew what she was doing and said it anyways, especially to Malachi, her brother. And I've had this conversation with my daughter, and if y'all don't know, you can look it up later. The whole idea of sheep, sheep dogs, and wolves, and, and explaining to her that you, you have a choice. She's not a sheep. She's a headstrong. She will either be the hero or the villain in life, if you understand what I'm saying. Like, she's not just an innocent bystander. My son, God bless him, the sweetest guy you've ever met in your life. So sweet, so loving. He's a sheep. Like, that's just, he's sweet. He's great. McKenna wants to fight. And I'm not sure on which side of the pendulum that goes sometimes. So I'm steering her, to which I've looked at her and said, with her words, you are a kova. Remember that. You do not use your words to tear down your family. That's not okay. That's not who we are. Now, I understand we don't use our words to tear down anybody, but small steps. Okay, guys, I've got to get her to love her brother. <laughs> Remember who you are. So she'll say something like, who are you? She'll do something. Who are you? And it's not a performance for my name. It's reminding her of who she's supposed to be. You're not that person. You're not that person. Because Simba finds himself eating worms with pigs. And his dad goes, you're not that person. That's not who you are. You have lowered yourself so far, you're in the dirt with pigs when you've been called to be royalty. And I'm looking at this church, and I'm talking to people on Facebook and listening to our podcast and going, remember who you are. Paul's saying that you're not carnal. And it doesn't matter what the world does or what the world says or what the world does to you. You are a spirit. You are royalty. And maybe that's what you need to do every morning is to look in the mirror and say, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember what we're supposed to do. As a believer, our last name changed. And with that name came responsibilities, and it came power, and it came incredible things. And what we have to do is to remember who we are. How many of you understand your name in this building has meaning? Your name means something to me. The camps mean something to me. The Lefevers, that name means something to me. The Turners mean something. Your name means something. And your name, can I be honest with you, a lot of times has as much weight relationally as Kova. Because when you're apart and your name's apart, it means that you're in. And when you disconnect, it doesn't always matter what she says. But when you disconnect, your name has power. And as God's sons and daughters, 
when we are apart and we are diving in and we're making changes in our communities, we're changing our dorm rooms, we're changing our people, we're changing our relationships, your name brings power. But you can also disconnect. And I feel like a lot of times the world is seeing the last name of God disconnect. And we wonder why we are seeing at an all-time high this whole idea of that there is a God, but he doesn't care. He doesn't care because everybody with his last name is, who represents him doesn't care. And if his own kids don't care about it, he must not care about it. You're part of this family not because you chose to be, but you were picked. And when you got picked, you got placed. And when you got placed, it was with purpose to renovate this area. Remember who you are today. Remember what's going on in this world. Remember that your vision, your hope, your quarreling, your quarantining all has huge repercussions. Remember who you used to be. I love it when David goes to fight Goliath. He remembers who he is when everybody else forgot they were children of God. Everybody else was called. Like when I read Samuel, I don't see this prophetic word, and thus says the Lord, there will be a ten-foot giant, you will take his head off. No, David wasn't acting out a prophetic word. What he was doing was enforcing a name. How do you understand? It could have been a million other people. It could have been so many other people to remember who they were. And David stirs them up. And they're like, no. And today, I'm here to stir you up. And just like the army of Israel did at that day, you have a choice to be like, nah, I'm good, G. I'm out. I'm just going to stay in my condo. I don't really care. I care, but it's not going to do anything. It's like a pail of water in the ocean, Pete. Come on. Or you can remember, and we can all grab a bucket, and we can all start working towards something. And you can rebuild this place. You can start off by believing who you are. You didn't do anything great. You didn't jump through a hoop. There's no spiritual enlightenment by finding oneself. That's stupid. Can I just say it? You can't help yourself because yourself sucks. <laughs> just being honest. What you do is you connect with who he is. You connect with who he is. Because greater is he that's in you. Once we connect with that, reminding ourselves who we are, we realize if I'm a son, if I'm a daughter of God, I have responsibility and so many tools in my tool belt to change this fixer-upper. And we'll talk about that another time. We'll talk about our tools. God, we just thank you for today. Father, we just thank you that as we dive in, and we're taking this journey going from 
being in a relationship, to you being our shepherd, to now us co-laboring with you, God. And even as we go in the future and look at the tools and the tool belt that you've given us to do these things, God, I just thank you that this is something that we start off with reminding ourselves who we are in you, reminding ourselves who you are in us, that you are in us, that we are in you, that the enemy cannot differentiate between the two. And right now, God, I just think that every single person who hears my voice right now reminds themselves through your spirit who they are. You remind them of the vision that you have given them, the hope that you have given them, the change that you have given them, the passion that you had given them, all the things in life, God, that you have equated to them, all of the things for the project, uh, projects that life change, all all the victories, God, all the sustainability through the hard times, everything that you have given us in life and godliness, and we thank you for it today, God, that we're not just left here in this one-bedroom condo to watch the whole world fall apart, but that, God, you have called us for greatness, and we say yes to that in your name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.